church. I'm excited about this series because I believe God is going to use it to bring many that are far from him into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of heaven. And it's also going to strengthen us as believers to fully understand what it is that we profess. Because so often it's like, oh yeah, I've been in church for a whole lot of years, but I don't really fully understand the Trinity. I don't really fully understand what justification is or sanctification or some of these big churchy words. But at the essence of that, at the core of that, it is the foundation of everything that we profess and believe. And we can't be a light in the darkness if we don't understand the foundations, the basic core beliefs of the Christian faith. The Barna Group did a study, and they said this, rates of church attendance, religious affiliation, belief in God, prayer, and Bible reading have been dropping for decades. Americans believe, Americans' beliefs are becoming more post-Christian, and concurrently, religious identity is changing. And they said this is the, mainly the environment of the Generation Z generation, which is people anywhere born from 1995 to 2015, they make up 25.9% of America's population right now. James White, he's an author, he wrote a book called Meet Generation Z, and I quote, he said this, the most defining mark of members of Generation Z in terms of their spiritual lives is their spiritual illiteracy. They do not know what the Bible says. They do not know the basics of the Christian belief of theology. They do not know what the cross is all about. And they do not know what it means to worship. goes on in this article to say the knowledge gap is a result of a massive cultural value shift from the sacred to the secular. And it has been led to increasing numbers of students abandoning their faith and losing interest in the church altogether. In fact, the Barna Group characterized Generation Z as the first truly post-Christian generation since this country was founded. Only 4% of this generation adhere to a biblical worldview. I was reading another article, and this girl is part of Generation Z, and she wrote this, and I quote, I'm a member of Generation Z, and I have seen firsthand the loneliness, passion, confusion of my peers. We are people who long to see change to unjust systems and are actively seeking to solve problems through innovation. We value community. We want to make a difference and see the world become a kinder place. We want to build our identities around something that will last. But so many of us are ill-equipped to step into a post-Christian culture. With little knowledge of scripture or orthodox Christian doctrine, many quickly fall away into apostasy, unbelief, or apathy. Those who remain struggle to cultivate a shallow faith based upon fun activities and misunderstanding of what the Bible really teaches. If the church desires to reclaim Generation Z, she says, and reintegrate them into the body of, the Christ, of Christ, then we must educate our children and youth. We must actively seek out the lost and meet them where they are with their questions and their concerns. And then she says this, if we remain silent, these trends towards atheism and spiritual illiteracy will continue to grow. And our culture will complete the shift from sacred to secular until Christian thought is no more than a trivial relic of an intolerant, uneducated past. To which I say is so true. And honestly, a lot of this is the reason for this next series. 
the foundations of our faith, while it's not going to be an in-depth study, as you're going to see today as we talk about the Trinity, I could spend four months talking, trying to explain the Trinity. We have one day. But whether it's the Trinity or baptism or salvation or spiritual warfare or the Bible or whatever these big topics in this Christian faith are, if we don't understand them, there's no way we can impact the culture around us. And so often we get in this vein of going through the motions. It's like, yeah, I've heard that word, but I don't really understand what it means. Hear this, please. These topics that we're going to study, including the Trinity, are not a topic that is just for theologians and seminary professors to understand. This is a topic that Christians are to understand. And we fall short because often, to be honest, I've been there, laziness, a lack of time with God, of intimacy with him, of seeking them out. I mean, we may open our Bible and have a quiet time, but we never really dive into how does the Bible work together? What is the Bible saying about who God is because it impacts everything did you know the church today has more production and smoke machines and moving lights and coffee shops and visual stimulation and things that we think will draw the world in which some of them are i'm not saying that's all bad but regardless of all that everything that we're trying to do to get people in the doors america is still moving towards a post-christian culture faster than we can imagine why in this article, because people don't even understand the basic foundations of the faith. We just don't get it. And while the church is built and grounded upon Jesus, no doubt he is the foundation. The Trinity is Jesus, as we're going to see. The foundations of the faith do encompass that. And we can't just write it off as, well, all that matters is Jesus and everything else is just left to figure out. All of these topics lead to Jesus. All of these topics show us who God is, and we cannot neglect them. See, Christianity was founded and built upon basic Christian doctrines, all of which are crucial to the faith. And the Trinity is one of those doctrines. See, the Trinity is the key to understanding the gospel, who God is, who you are, who you were created to be, as we're going to see. It's much more than one God in three distinct persons that's just this phantom that is hard to understand, no doubt. We were created in the image and the likeness of this triune God, which impacts everything. The word Trinity is not found in Scripture. Here we go. You ready? Seatbelts on. I'm going to try to get through this without... Too much info, but also enough so that we can basically understand the essence of who God is. This word is not found in Scripture, but the idea is represented many places in Scripture. It cannot be denied. It means triunity or three in oneness. It could be summed up like this. The Trinity is a mystery that cannot be understood by human reason, but is understand, understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which says this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence, for the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is still another, but the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal, to which you say, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense, got it, right? 
If you did, I didn't. You want the Cliff Notes version? It could be this. God eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God and there is one God. And you say, man, Luke, my brain is still bending. And I say, mine too. See, this thought the Trinity is something, as we're going to see, that there are basic foundations that we can understand that point to who God is. But we will never fully get it. Much of the Trinity is just choosing to believe in faith that we serve this God who is one God in three distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal. There's really no illustration that we can use that really gets this into our minds, so lots of it is just taking it by faith. See, in one sense, the doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery that we'll never fully be able to understand, but in another sense, we really can it's God in three persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. We can grasp those things. So basically, the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Son. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. They are all distinct persons. They are distinct in deity, but they are one God, one God, one deity, three persons. Got it? Good, me too. See, there have been many attempts over the years to illustrate this, and you've probably heard it. Honestly, some of these most illustrations I'm just going to tell you up front are heresy, so there's that. Maybe you've heard the Trinity is like water. It can be a solid, gas, liquid, but they're all water. This is actually the heresy of modalism which claims that God just came in three different modes. See, liquid and gas cannot be at the same time. They're two different states. They, they can't exist in that realm. So if you've ever heard the Trinity try to be defined as water, write it off because it's heresy. Or the sun, maybe it's a star, it produces heat and light. This is the heresy of Arianism. Really what Arianism says is that Jesus or the Holy Spirit were products of the Father, but they were not co-equal or co-eternal with the Father. It's heresy. The Trinity cannot be defined as the Son. Or maybe you've heard it as a three-leaf clover. Makes sense, right? There's three leaves and one bud, but what happens if there's only two leaves? Is it a clover? No. See, this is the, her the heresy called partialism. Where Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three parts that make up the whole. Each are one-third divine. It's not true. Each person is fully God in power, in majesty, in deity. But it is one God. So let's begin this journey together. And my clock is not running, so uh-oh. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So before we get into this, I just want to say this. We serve one God. We do not serve three gods. We do not serve three little manifestations of deity. We serve one God who sits in heaven and rules over all, but we do see the Trinity from the very beginning of Scripture. Genesis 1, 1 through 3 says this, and I think we have these for the screen. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there is light. So if you're a student, you're probably thinking, well, I see God. I see the Father he created, and I see the Spirit hovering, but where's the sun? There's no mention of the sun here. Where is he? We look at John 1 1 we can find where he is because it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning all things were made through him without him was not anything made that was made in him was life hear that life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it so where's the sun when god said let there be light this is the word of god this is jesus himself jesus is the word of god so from the very beginning of scripture we see this idea of the trinity in place one god three persons we can also see it in mark chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 it says in those days this is the baptism of Jesus. Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, who is the voice, God, the father. And who is the son? Jesus, with who I am well pleased. So think about this. If Jesus was merely just displayed in three different modes in this heresy of modalism the three of these could not have existed at the same place at the same time it's not three manifestations of god it's three distinct persons in the same exact place at the same exact time it's interesting that this aramaic translation of hovering as we saw in genesis 1 in the hebrew text is translated by the rabbis as fluttering like a dove, same language that John or Mark uses here. The Spirit of God was hovering like a dove over the waters when it was formed and void and formless. But all that to say, in both these passages, all three persons of the Godhead, the Trinity, are here at the same time. And I promise you we're going to apply this and I pray that God's going to show you something about why understanding the Trinity is amazing. But before we do that, I have a few more verses to prove the point that the Trinity is all over Scripture. Just a couple. Old Testament and New Testament. Isaiah 6, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who shall go for us? That's plural. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.14, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We see Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit right there. Last one, 1 Peter 1.2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. All this to say, this idea of the Trinity, of this triune God, is all over Scripture. And you actually cannot be a Christian without believing in faith in this triune God. Because it's the God of the Bible. 
You can't just say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but that Trinity thing, it's not really my thing because I can't understand it. Well, guess what? You don't have to understand it. Some of what you just have to believe in faith that it's true because it's all over Scripture. As we're going to see, you can't even be saved without the Trinity. You don't even know how to pray correctly without the Trinity. It's the basic foundation of the Christian faith. So here's the question as we move forward. How does the Trinity impact us and what is the role of each person? Very crucial that we understand this. Because it's in understanding this that we begin to see the fullness of God. We begin to see his power move in ways that we never thought were possible. But we just often write it off as, oh, it's this big word that I don't even care to understand. We're missing it. You're missing so much of what God wants to do. So here we go. Ready? You thought, man, Luke, I thought it was almost over. Well, we're about halfway. The Trinity is comprised, hear this, of unity and diversity. This is big. Each person is diverse. Jesus is diverse from the Father. He's distinct from the Father. The Holy Spirit is distinct from the Son. The Son is distinct from the Father. They're diverse in the roles that they play, yet there is unity. One God, three persons. So the Holy Spirit is comprised of both unity and diversity. What do I mean by this? Trinity is one God in three persons, as I've said. Each person of the Godhead is fully God, yet each person is diverse in his role. And we're going to see something that I was blown away by this week, of why this matters. See, they're co-equal in power and majesty and glory. Hear this. Their function is others-centered. Even within the Trinity, don't believe me? John 17, 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Why? That your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. What? That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent don't miss this. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the, whole, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. First thing we see, the Son is out to bring glory to the Father. The Father is out to bring glory to the Son. And you say, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked. Spirit glorifies the Son in John 16, 13 through 15. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, for he will not speak on his own authority, but, ever, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. What does he do? He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what do we see? This exchange of glory, this exchange of power, this exchange of might. Each person in the Trinity looking to glorify the other, looking to serve the other. That, there is no selfishness in the Trinity. None. It doesn't exist. And we were created in this image. We were created in this likeness. Each person in the Trinity seeks to bring glory to the other. That's how the fullness of God is made to function. 
It's amazing. And you may be thinking, okay, Luke, well, why does that matter to me? Once again, I'm glad you asked. If you didn't, I'm sure you just did because there was a small pause. Gave you time to ask, well, why does it matter? Because we were created in the image and likeness of God, and therefore we are to live in the same manner. Listen to what Genesis 1, 26 through 27 says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness. Who is God talking to if there's only one God? It's not like he has these voices in his head. He's talking to the persons of the Trinity, each distinct person in the Trinity. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, which, by the way, this is why you can fish and hunt, praise God, right here in the Bible, and all over the earth, and all over every creeping thing that creeps, and on earth, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created him. Which I want to say this before we go. There is a war against this gender in our culture. God created man and woman, male and female. There is no other. It doesn't matter what you want to believe or what you choose to believe. This is who God created humans to be was beautifully in his image, man or woman. It was his choice, not ours. And it's beautiful how God uses that to function. See, part of what this means is that we are an image bearer of God, and in this there is unity and diversity. Male alone did not rightly image God. Female alone is not enough to image God. When male and female get married, the two become what? One flesh there is diversity coming into this and they are unified into one and that started at the beginning with god three in one the trinity all diverse yet unified in the godhead there is unity and diversity and because we are made in his image of this other serving god we are to do the same Matthew 20, 20 through 28 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Which is why I am convinced that we will never have lasting peace, joy, contentment, or purpose if we are always looking to serve ourselves. Because that's not the image we were created in. You want to wonder why you don't have peace and contentment? Could it be because life is all about you? And you're going against the very God who created you? He created you in his likeness, in his image, which was others serving. To serve the Son, to serve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would serve the Son. The Son would serve the Father. And when we get that backwards, we wonder why we're so depressed and have no purpose and have no contentment. Because we're so focused on ourselves that we can't have it. Because that's not the image we were created in. We were created in the image of a God who is others serving, which is exactly why he sent Jesus to the cross. Which is exactly why Jesus willingly went to the cross. Not his will, but his father's be done. 
It's beautiful. This triune self, others serving, distinct, diverse, and unified, and how it impacts us. You want joy, contentment, and purpose? Which serve in yourself. Begin to serve others and watch what God will do. Begin to watch how he will display his glory and his power. Because Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. And this is exactly why he went to the cross. To give us life. If you're in this place this morning and you're like, man, this is a lot. I will say, amen, it is. I will be the first to admit it. I've been studying it all week, thinking, how in the world do I communicate this with my short time and something that makes sense and doesn't have people fall asleep? Because it's hard, it's weighty, it's it's doctrine, some of it, but that it's important. But at the end of the day, hear this: if you're in this room and you're just checking it out for the first time, and maybe you saw the sign and you rolled on in, you don't have to understand this fully. You just have to believe it in faith that it's true. And you have to believe that Jesus came to pay the penalty that you owed to give you life. We just saw. Just have to believe on it. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ and say, God, I can't do it on my own. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where Jesus is like, man, you really got to understand the fullness of the Trinity to be saved. Praise God because none of us would be. He says, come to me that you may have life and have it to the full. Because I have come to serve you. I have come to lay my life down for you so you didn't have to lay it down on your own. Because you could not pay the price that you owed. It's the beauty of the gospel. So as we finish up, I want to do this. I want to talk about how each person of the Trinity plays a pivotal role in the salvation of our souls. The role of the Father is this, that he gave his only Son that we might have life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only Son that whosoever should believe upon him should not perish but have everlasting life. The role of the Father was to give. Here we see it again. He is giving. He is giving. He is giving. He gave his own Son that we might have life. Life. Romans 8.32 says basically that he gave up his son for us all. But he also draws men unto himself. Did you know that you cannot be saved unless the Father draws you? So if the Father has drawn you, man, we have every reason to worship. We have every reason to praise. And you say, well, maybe Luke, God hasn't drawn me. I say, oh, you want to bet? He has come so that all would come to repentance, that all might be saved. You may run from him, but if you're in this room this morning and your pulse is raising a little bit, maybe it's because God the Father is trying to draw you to himself to offer you what you cannot get on your own. Life, freedom, purpose as you enter into this relationship with a God who is others serving. He came to serve you in the sense that he laid down his life for you. He draws men unto himself, John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, Jesus said. So we see that the Father gives and he draws. What about the Son? 
He gave his own life for the payment of our sins. Galatians 1.4 says, He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father. Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? The riches of his grace. Grace doesn't come from someone who's self-serving. Think about it. What is grace? God giving you what you did not deserve. That doesn't come from a God who's self-serving, who's in heaven just looking to spite you and crush you and hoping you mess up at every turn. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. Why? So that no man can boast. And mercy... God didn't give you what you did deserve, his wrath. God gave us his son that we might have life and life to the full. Which is exactly why this week I've been reflecting upon this idea of worship, guys. And to be frank, God hit me like a freight train last night, actually, driving home. And he said, Luke, do you realize that you're in a war? Do you realize that your worship has been lacking? Do you realize that your prayer has been lacking? Do you realize that you've been asking me to do all these things, yet you refuse to do the very thing that prepares you for war? Pray and worship. And I just want to say, I am believing God more than I ever have in my life right now to begin to blow this thing open. Because we're in a war. And there are people that are far from Jesus this morning that have no peace, that have no purpose, that have no hope, that have no contentment, that are self-serving, that are out there for themselves and to build all this stuff for themselves. And then they wonder why they're depressed. Because they don't know this God who they were created in the image and the likeness of. And it's our job. We don't get the option to just sit in seats and come and enjoy a message every week and worship. It's not Christianity. We don't get the option to just live this life however we want to and just put Jesus on the side here and there. We don't have the option, guys. Jesus says you're either for me or you're against me. You're either with me or you're not. And I'm pleading this morning. That we would take it seriously. In fact, I'm going to start pumping this again. We started it months ago and it kind of got on the back burner, which is my fault. This thing that we called the One Initiative. Who's your one? Don't look at this thing as we have to have all the, we have to save all these people and we get so overwhelmed. Well, how do I even share my faith? Well, I don't even know my faith. Well, this and that and that. Well, invite, I mean, invite them to church. Bring, get a cup of coffee with them. Sit down and just get to know them. You have no idea how many gospel conversations I've had in my life that came out of me, not with the agenda of trying to convert someone, but the agenda of trying to love someone and hear their story. Who's your one? It's called Christianity. It's not called choice. 
If each one of us in this room had our one, man, I believe the gates of hell would begin to tremble. If we would get on our knees and on our face and worship this God who we were created in the image and the likeness of, darkness would begin to flee. And God has enlisted us in his army. And he said, you know how you prepare? Pray and worship. The enemy hates worship. Darkness trembles at worship when his people, when God's people worship despite their trial and their circumstance. When they say, I choose to say that God is good even if I've lost everything. I choose to worship because I was created in his image. This others serving God and so I am here to serve others, not myself. Therefore, who is your one? Who is it? Because people are hurting. Number three is the spirit. I can spend three weeks on the spirit, and I don't have time to explain this this morning, but basically the Holy Spirit strengthens and grants us power. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not gravity. He's not someone to be afraid of. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Sometimes I hear this reference to the Holy Spirit of it is moving or it is doing, I'm like, who is it? The who? Like, who is it? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who God has given to us to strengthen us, to empower us, to comfort us in our time of greatest need. He's this amazing God. Hear this, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father from who Every family in heaven on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through what? Through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know what? The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Wow. We can't know Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't have comfort and peace without the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he is a real being. He is a real person who is moving in our midst. And you know what my prayer is for this next season? That we wouldn't get weird about him, but that we would trust him. And that we would believe him. And that we would believe him to move in this place. We would believe him to move in and through this body. To do things that we cannot do. Because if the Holy Spirit is not here, shut the doors and lock them up. Because I don't want nothing to do with it. But when he begins to move. When his people begin to fall to their face in prayer and worship and lift him high. When we get serious about our faith and realize that the universe doesn't revolve around us, but it revolves around him, and we are created in his image to serve others, look out. 
Because the Holy Spirit's going to begin to move in ways that are going to blow our mind. And I'm just going to be honest, guys. It's been a week for me where I've realized a lot of ways that I have failed, even in leading you guys. And it's been hard. And God has said the time is now to rise. Quit playing games, Luke. How are you going to reach this community? How are you going to go out into this place and reach people that are far from Christ? Because we're not expecting them just to show up here. Well, the Holy Spirit of God can do that. He is using us. He has chosen us to use us in the kingdom to beat the kingdom of darkness in the face. And it's a war. So here's my plea, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would begin to rise up and watch the power of God. Believe him to save your friend who you've been praying for. Bring him here. Believe him to save your family member. Believe him to save your coworker. Believe him to do the impossible because that is the God that we serve. The Holy Spirit is our power and our comfort. And as we wrap up, I want to say this. Without the Trinity, we cannot be saved. We cannot be reconciled to the Father by the atonement of the Son and being given the Spirit of God who dwells in us as what? A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance that is to come. So without the Trinity, we couldn't even be saved. And we just write it off as, oh, it's this big doctrine word that's for seminary professors. It's not the case. God's heart is that we would know him, that we would know his fullness. And hear this, without understanding the Trinity, we cannot even pray properly. If you don't like it, it's true. Take it up with God, not me. See, because we pray to the Father... In the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus has told us to pray. That's how he works in the heavenly places. And sometimes, I, man, it's like, yeah, God hears our cries wherever you're at. I'm not saying you have to know how to do this. If you're in desperation, you're like, I don't even know who this Jesus guy is. Just cry out and say, Jesus, I need you. Save me. And he'll save you in a moment. Jesus, I need help. Help me. But as a believer, we need to graduate from this milk that we're still sucking on in a bottle and move to solid food. Why? Because when we pray the way God calls us to pray, the heavens begin to shake, the ground begins to tremble, and God begins to do the things that he wants to do. If we will be that type of people, look out, because we're taking this valley by storm, baby. And we're in a war, and I ain't retreating. And we're in a war, and bring it on, Satan. You can throw whatever you want at me, but I got the shield of faith, and we're charging it. Because I refuse to sit here and watch people who are hurting and stranded and in need just stay in it. It's not love. That's not other serving. It's not what God did for us. So why would we do that to others? Will you join us in going after people who are hurting and going after the lost and fill this place up? Not with just a bunch of people who have, 
are Christians and are checking out this church and that church, well, that's great. I'm so grateful. Like we, God uses that to build a foundation, but that's not all it is. It's about people who are far from Jesus and need hope and need life and need purpose. And God has commissioned us to go to battle. The band wants to come up. All of Christianity hinges on this, the triune God. One God existing eternally in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all equal in power and glory. And the church was wired to advance in what? This is beautiful. Diversity and unity. Why? Because we are created in his image and in his likeness, and that's who he is. And so he has called us in our diversity, in our gifts and our strengths or our lack thereof, to bring our gifts together, the diversity of it all, distinct from one another, and come together in unity to advance the gospel. Unity advances the gospel. Unity brings Jesus to a hurting world. How is any battle won? With a diverse group of soldiers who are unified on mission. The church is no different, and it's time to engage. It's time to leverage our diversity and stand in unity. The time is now. See how amazing it is when we can understand this God that we serve? That the Trinity is not just this removed doctrine that we can just put on the bottom of our bookshelf, but it actually exposes the God that we serve. This others-serving God who has come to redeem, and it changes how we live our lives. Why? Because we are created in His image and in His his likeness, and that's how he's chosen to advance the church in diversity with all of our gifts coming together in unity for the advancement of the gospel. It's beautiful, and it's amazing. And my prayer for today was that God would do something in this place by the power of his spirit that wherever you're at, whether you're in the deepest pain of loss in your life, or you're on cloud nine, wherever you're at, hear this. There is one who is above your circumstance. There is one who is in your trial. There is one who is in your pain and in your joy. And his name is Jesus, the king of glory, who has come to give you the fullness of life. Come to him because you can't do it on your own. You never will be able to, no matter how hard you try. I've been reflecting upon this as there's lots of pain with people in our church this week and it breaks my heart. But the one thing we can do is choose to worship and choose to say that God is good in the trial and in the pain and that while you don't understand it now, one day you will if and only if you have surrendered your life to the King of glory, King Jesus, who has come to set you free. Will you do? God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the beauty of your word, the beauty of your character and who you are. 
And God, I ask right now in this moment that you would do a deep work in this room, that you would meet people where they're at, in their pain, in their struggle, in their trial. God, I know for a fact that there's people in this room that are still in shock over life circumstances, that don't have understanding, or asking why, maybe, or God, how could you do that, or how could you let this happen? And God, I pray that right now, by the power of your spirit, that you would fall upon this room as we begin to worship and lift you high, and that they would be reminded, God, that your spirit would come upon them as their comforter and remind them that you are with them in the storm, you are with them in the trial, you are with them in the pain, and you are fighting for them. And if, you will, if they will choose to worship, even when it makes no sense, you will do things in and through them that will blow their mind as you give them a peace that passes all understanding, because that's how you work, Holy Spirit, and we thank you for it. God, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name.